Let us pray. Almighty God, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your holy word, that by the patience and comfort of your word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This passage is pretty straightforward. The central claim today, the basic point I want you to walk away with, is that in Jesus Christ, God calls us out of darkness, that we may have light, may have life in his light. Jesus, as light, both exposes our darkness, but also he himself is the source of our hope and life amidst darkness. Through union with Christ, who himself is the light of the world, we can share in his life and also become light towards others in this world. So in this passage, the, the structure of it also is pretty simple. If you want to know how this passage works that Father David just read, Jesus in verse 12 makes a basic claim. If you have John 8 in front of you, it's such a significant claim, the rest of the passage is devoted to unpacking it. Jesus declares, I'm the light of the world, and there's a back and forth about how he has the authority to make such a claim, after which some believe in Jesus in verse 30. And the conversation that unfolds is very similar to what we saw in John chapter 6 and John chapter 7. A key statement is made by Jesus or a key action, and then there's a controversy about how Jesus has the authority to speak and act in that way. In this passage, in verses 13 through 29, the key thing Jesus keeps coming back to is that it is his relation to the Father, that he is uniquely sent by the Father, that gives him the authority to declare, I am the light of the world. They ask how Jesus can testify to himself, since testimony has to be validated by more than one person. And Jesus says he's not one more witness among others in this world. He's not from this world. He's from the Father, verse 23. He's sent by the Father, verse 14. He's not speaking and acting on his own authority, verse 28. The Father is always with him, verse 29. The Father who sent Jesus is true, verse 26. And so Jesus declares to the world what he's heard from the Father. If that is the basis for how Jesus claims he's the light of the world, what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? During college, I refereed indoor adult soccer games in Amarillo, Texas, and this was rarely a positive experience. Um, lar largely, it was hours of boredom from about 5 p.m. to 11.30, but it was occasionally interrupted by all of the aggression and drama of a World Cup final. Occasionally, there were forfeits, and on one particular night, I knew several forfeits in a row were coming, so I left to get some food. And on the way home, I stopped at Yano Cemetery, which was down the street from the indoor soccer arena, because one of my friends was buried there who had passed away in high school. And I paused for a moment, and I prayed, and then it was time to go back to work. I, I wasn't there long, and the gate was shut and locked. And the sign said the hours were from sunrise to sunset, which can change a lot over the course of a year. Um, so I found myself suddenly locked inside the cemetery. And I raced around 
the, if you've been in a big cemetery, you know those weird little winding roads. I raced around to the other gates. They're all locked. It was twilight, and then suddenly it was pitch black, and it was dark. And there's no moon in the sky. I'm locked in the cemetery, and I don't know what to do. I, I had, this was about 2012. I recently had gotten an iPhone. I could look up on the internet on my phone the cemetery's offices. They're closed. So I didn't know what else to do. So I dialed 911, and a very amused operator said that they would try to help me, and they hung up. So then I was there still for hours, and I don't know if anyone's coming to help me. The cemetery comes alive at night. I can hear owls hooting. I can hear little twigs breaking from little animals and bushes that I can't see. And um, I'm both surrounded and completely alone in there. So then eventually, a colossal pickup truck pulls up in front of the gate in front of me, lights blinding me. And I felt completely exposed and ridiculous. I'm dressed like a soccer referee locked in the cemetery. And, uh, and I'm feeling pretty vulnerable. And I don't know if anyone is actually coming to help me or if this is someone coming to harm me. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty trapped. Is this blinding light here to help me or not? So a gigantic man wearing coveralls uh, descends from the truck and walks up to the gate. When light comes to us, do we want to come into the light? That Jesus is the light of the world is a key theme in the whole of John's gospel. John's gospel tells the story of a conflict between light and darkness. If you remember from the beginning of this series in John chapter 1, John begins his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not apprehended it. The darkness has neither overcome the light, nor has it rightly perceived the light. In John chapter 3, Jesus, after saying, describing God loving and saving the world and his son, Jesus says in verse 19, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. In the next chapter, John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind and again says, I am the light of the world. Another key statement about light is in John chapter 12. Jesus says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. And in verse 46, he says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And ultimately, we do see darkness overtake the whole world for a moment in John's gospel, as God is on the cross. But then, at the light of the resurrection morning, there is life again. But notably, in, in John chapter 8, Jesus is saying these things in the temple. The setting of this is important. Father David talked about this last week in John chapter 7, when Jesus said that he, is li he was living water. This was at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles you can read about in the book of Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It evoked the imagery of the creation week story in Genesis, and it, it reenacted Israel in the wilderness. And there were these elaborate worship ceremonies where water was poured and a lamp was lit 
So Jesus is saying these things at that, that feast. At, he, he's saying that these, these signs are being fulfilled in him. He is the reality that all of this was pointing towards. So as he says, I am the light of the world, it evokes massive themes in the whole of scripture about light. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and, and the earth, and the earth was form, without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. But God speaks and says, let there be light. And then there is morning and evening. In the Exodus, darkness was over the land of Egypt, and God led his people out by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. In the Psalms, we, we hear in Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Or, verse, or Psalm 36, 9, with you, God, is the fountain of life. In, in your light do we see light. And in the prophets, there was this expectation that one day, the world would become a new creation, especially in Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 60 says things like this. The sun shall no more be your light by day, nor the moon your brightness by night, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. And you hear these themes echoed and now given their true meaning in Jesus in the New Testament. In his second epistle to the Corinthians, Paul says, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness at creation, has now shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And light is a key way that the Christian life is spoken about in the epistle to the Ephesians. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. It, it, we are called out of darkness into God's marvelous light in 1 Peter and in the, the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation looks forward to the new city that will be established in Christ. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. They will see his face, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And all of these passages of scripture were crucial to how the church has talked about the, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit historically. In a moment in this service, we will say the Nicene Creed together. About the Son of God, we will say, he is light from light. In the fourth century, Cyril of Alexandria said this about that kind of statement. The only begotten, the, the Son of God, is light by nature, beaming forth from God the Father, who is light by nature. He is the light not only for the people of Israel, but for all the world. And the early church especially connected these themes of light in Scripture with baptism and the, the new life that we have. Gregory of Nazianzus comments on this verse, John 8, 12, and said that, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he says that the, the enemy tried to, to overcome humanity, but, is, but was encountered by God and defeated by the light of the world that shines into the darkness. Let us put away the darkness so that we may draw near to the light and may then become perfect light, the children of perfect light. So what does all of this have to do with you and with me? The bad news about Jesus being the light of the world is that it is disruptive. When the light of his presence blazes forth into our lives, it exposes us. It makes us vulnerable. It exposes our darkness. We do not want to be exposed. We read that above in John 3, 19. We love darkness. 
As 1 John 2.16 says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these things are cheap imitations of light. They are flashy. They capture our attention for a moment. But in reality, they're a black hole. They drain us of life. That is the nature of sin. It entices us with false, flashy promises of life. But it ultimately is our demise. Always drains us. Always takes away our life. Also, we are all highly motivated to pretend everything is fine, but we are not. And Jesus does not offer us empty sentimentality or just superficial happiness. He wants all of us. He wants all of your heart, all of your life, even if it means having our darkness exposed as we come into his light. That might mean, as Jesus calls us, that we need to confess our sins, not only to God, but also with discretion, bring them into light before others so that we can no longer privately continue walking in darkness, hiding. Elsewhere in the New Testament, 1 John makes this really clear. 1 John verse, chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And later in 1 John, this theme comes up again. What does it mean to walk in the light? It is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. What does it mean to walk in the light? It means to love one another. But the good news of the gospel is that the darkness of this world, the darkness in your life, is not all that there is. Jesus, light itself, is the light of the world. Jesus' light not only shines on us and exposes us, but it's like a surgical laser healing us, purging us, making us new, giving us life rather than taking it away. And the darkness of this world is more than just our own personal, individual, moral failures. There are horrors in this world. Injustice, abuse, violence, loneliness, longing to be known and to know others. Boredom. We have lost loved ones whom we miss. Relationships with people we love become estranged. And here's the key thing to remember. When Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, he's not saying you will never experience darkness. Augustine, in the 5th century, writes really well about this. He notes the tense of the words Jesus uses in John 8, 12. What he has promised, he put in a word of the future tense, Augustine notices. He doesn't say that, we, that, that the one who has the light of life currently he says, whoever follows me currently, he will have in the future the light of life. So what we follow now by faith, we shall have hereafter by sight. When shall we walk by sight? When in the future we have the light of life and come to that vision whereby this night will have passed away. And what I'm trying to say here is captured well in the Lord of the Rings. Samwise Gamgee and Frodo Baggins are in the land of Mordor, a horrible place, um, if you haven't read the books, I can't describe it more than that right now. But they are in a, a moment when it seems like all hope is lost. And Sam is hiding from their enemies, and he looks out, 
while Frodo is asleep. He's the lookout at night. And the land seemed full of creaking and cracking and sly noises, but there was no sound of voice or foot. Far above in the mountains in the west, the night sky was still dim and pale. But there, peeping among the cloud rack above the dark and high mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Now for a moment, his own fate and even his master's ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and laid himself by Frodo's side. Putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. That is the rest that is ours in Christ. The darkness of this world is shown to ultimately be a small and passing thing. And, and not only does it give us hope in the midst of darkness, but also through union with Christ, we become light. The ray of God's life doesn't terminate upon us, but we become conduits, instruments for the light of God's life in the lives of others. So what are some practical ways to things to maybe take away from this? Um, something very practical that you can do to remember that Jesus is the light of the world is to pray the daily office from the Book of Common Prayer, especially in evening prayer. It is dominated by the language and imagery of light. One of the opening sentences of evening prayer is the following. Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in this service this morning, we already sang this, the song, the Fos Hilaron, O gladsome light, pure brightness of the ever-living Father. That song in the fourth century was described as beloved and ancient by Basil of Caesarea. If it was ancient already in the fourth century, it's probably pretty old. Um, one of the earliest Christian hymns that we know of. And why did they sing it at night? Why is this an evening prayer? We sing it in morning prayer, obviously, because we're worshiping in the morning. But they would do this when they lit the lamps in the evening, when in the darkness was coming upon them, and they, they lit their oil lamps in the ancient world. This was to remember the light of Christ that shines in the darkness. And evening prayers in, in, in Compline are marked by prayers such as this. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. We live in a world where we can hardly see the stars because of modern lights. But in the ancient world, the darkness of night could be terrifying. These prayers were very practical. And they are things that you can pray as you turn on the lights in your house in the evening. We, we also are to become conduits of light to others. Remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Not only is Jesus the light of the world, as we are united with him, we become the light of the world that others might see our good deeds and glorify the Father who is in heaven. So, while I stood in front of the locked cemetery gates and the giant man in coveralls got out of the giant truck and silently walked up to the, the locked gates with a massive jangling key ring, I didn't know what to think. The cemetery, frankly, was not in a very good part of town, not the kind of place you want to find yourself stranded at night. And standing there in the darkness amongst the owls and the rabbits and the squirrels and other creeping things of the night, among the dead, I wasn't sure if this was help or someone from whom I should hide. I couldn't see his face with the spotlights of the pickup behind him. But he walked up 
and I heard the padlock click. He didn't say much as I tried to apologize and explain myself, dressed as a soccer referee there, but he just smiled and said he was glad he could help and to be more careful next time. I was locked amongst the dead in the darkness, and now I was free. I arrived back at the indoor soccer arena just as the next games were starting and did not even try to begin to explain where I had been or why I was running late. Ordinarily, I probably just would have complained the whole time about having to be there. But that night, at least, I was thankful I was there. I was thankful for the bright lights inside. I was thankful for the light of the place, the life of the place, which I could now participate in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you.